Blog Talk Radio. The paranormal. What is it? Is it the unexplained? Strange events? Or something from beyond? Or is it simply perception? This is Paranormal Unspoken with your host, Adam Young. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Paranormal Unspoken. Today our guest is Jim Mars, and we will be talking about the subject of alien life and what is the likelihood of getting an answer from outer space? Much like the scenario outlined in R or L. Ron Hubbard's and his international bestseller, Battlefield Earth, where the Voyager was out was picked up by an alien probe, which resulted in man becoming an endangered species. Jim is the author of Crossfire, the plot that killed Kennedy, which was the basis for the Oliver Stone film, JFK. Along other titles, he is the author of an in-depth investigation of UFOs, Alien Agenda, uh, which was published by HarperCollins Publishers and ruled by Cessary, which traced the hidden history that connects modern secret societies to the ancient mysteries. Aside of being a speaker at a number of national conferences, Mr. Mars is an award-winning journalist who is listed both in Who's Who in the world of Who's Who in America. Uh, Mr. Mars has won several writing and photography awards, including Aviation Aerospace Writers Association's National Writing Award, and Newsmaker of the Year Award from the Fort Worth Chapter of Society of Professional Journalists. In 1993, Mr. Mars received Freedom Magazine's Human Rights Leadership Award. Jim, it's great to have you on the show today. Oh, now we're going. We're going. Okay, well, it's great to be with you, Adam. It's great to have you on. Uh, So, Jim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, there's not much to tell. I'm just an old newspaper reporter. Uh, Graduated with a degree in journalism. Uh, I've worked for several Texas newspapers uh, and uh, traveled to assignments in Europe, Middle East, all over. Did a little everything, started off as police reporter, crime reporter, and then moved on to aviation, aerospace, military writer, energy writer. Uh, so just done a little bit of everything. And uh, the first thing that really got my attention, of course, was the Kennedy assassination because it happened right here in my own backyard. Uh, in fact, I have a photograph of me uh, dancing with one of Jack Ruby's uh, strippers <laughs> on the wow. stage of the 
of the Carousel Club that was taken about a month before the Kennedy assassination. Anybody had ever heard of Jack Ruby? So, yeah, I've been here all along, and I knew something wasn't right about that assassination. Uh, you know, there, there, if one lone assassin had managed uh, as an accident of history to uh, kill the president, there would not have been this palatable aura of fear among police and government and county officials over in Dallas, okay? So I kept mm-hmm. digging at it, and uh, that uh, I, I taught a course on the Kennedy assassination beginning in 1976 until 2007 when I retired. And uh, that prompted me to write Crossfire, the plot to kill Kennedy, and I was just fortunate enough to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, and that was one of the uh, that was uh, a basis for uh, Oliver Stone's uh, very uh, infamous film JFK. And then, as I go around, ask everybody around the country, what's the next big deep secret government cover-up? And everybody said UFOs. So I wrote a book called uh, Alien Agenda that is kind of an overview of the UFO situation to include crop circles and, and uh, animal mutilations and uh, even the chupacabra. So, uh, and that went on to be, become the top-selling nonfiction book on UFOs in the entire world. And uh, it's still it's still a good primer. Uh, for anyone who would would like to know what's going on in the UFO field, and then that led me uh, at the end of the UFOs. You know, you, you, the stereotype is a little guy lands and says, "Take me to your leader." Well, you know, I mm-hmm. start thinking, "Well, wait a minute, who's our leader?" <laughs> you know, <clears throat> Putin doesn't speak for the Earth, and, and uh, Trump doesn't speak for the Earth for the Earth, and. You know, if you read the newspapers, apparently a whole lot of people don't even think he speaks for the United States. So, yeah. uh, so you know, so who is our leader? Well, that led me to the uh, extreme wealthy 7% or the 2% or the 1% or the, you know, the uh, the New World yeah. Order, the Illuminati, yeah, the New World Order. And, uh, you know, that led to uh, other books. And now my latest book is Population Control, How Corporate Owners Are Killing Us. Uh, and I would urge everybody to read that because this goes beyond politics or philosophies. This is self-defense. You better know what they're putting in your food and your water and your air and, right. uh, and, your, vaccine, and your vaccines, you know, uh, to protect yourself and your family. So that kind of brings us uh, to here. And uh, today I did want to mention uh, the uh, uh, that they have a new edition of uh, L. Ron Hubbard's famous book, uh, Battlefield Earth, that is now out. And accompanying it is an audio book that has been named the best audio book of 
thousand sound effects and a full musical score and <laughs> is written just for this audio book it's like a I, I say it's like a movie for the mind and uh, the reason I say this Adam is because one of one of my one of my thrills uh, as a young guy young kid uh, and uh, I hate to date myself but uh, until I was about 14 years old there was no TV, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. and I, I don't I don't mean we didn't have a TV. I mean there was no TV. <laughs> Nobody had a TV, and then right. all of a sudden everybody started getting a TV. Well, before TV, what we'd do is lay in there in bed at night and listen to the radio, and we listened to all of these uh, uh, famous radio shows like Amos and Andy and the uh, Gangbusters and. Uh, the Shadow, you know, and uh, even Gunsmoke. They had Marshall Dillon on the radio before he was on TV. Uh, and uh, you'd lay there, and they would have actors reading the parts, and they'd have sound effects, and and uh, unlike that, but you had to picture the whole thing in your mind. So it was kind of an interactive uh, experience. And I think it's kind of sad that most people today have not had that experience because it's really cool, and I think it sharpens your mind because you're sitting there and visualizing all this stuff that's going on, and you can kind of make it look however you want it to look, which is kind of cool, as opposed mm-hmm. to TV or movies where you just sit there and they you know, they throw it in your face. Uh, <clears throat> in the movies, if there's a monster... You know, you want to see the monster. Well, you know, radio, you can't see the monster, so they have to say the monster's coming, and then you build it up in your mind. And sometimes that, I think that may have been even more chilling and better than, than uh, you know, a, a paper mache or, or a claymation uh, character that you're being presented with. So anyway, I thought I would just uh, mention all that so people could go and have a shot. I know if I was a truck driver or if I was somebody who had to be stuck in uh, a lot of uh, drive time traffic, I'd, I think I'd get the uh, the uh, audio book of Battlefield Earth. Uh, and if you want more information, I think there's a battlefieldearth.com. Just go check it out. And you, can, you can listen to part of it and you can check the whole thing out but uh that Ron hubbard you know was uh, actually one of my favorite authors uh because see before he got into the scientology stuff which I, i'm not connected with uh he um uh he was a prolific writer and he wrote not only science fiction but westerns and and spy novels and i don't know just all kinds of good stuff and he was considered one of the top science fiction writers right up there with the legends like isaac asimov or uh, uh, arthur c Clarke, and uh and i just really really got into science fiction and of course today uh uh, it's hard to distinguish science fiction from science fantasy. Uh, the uh, I know I remember uh, some years ago uh, I watched this uh, funky TV show called Star Trek. Uh, I would mm-hmm. rush home from work to make sure I got home in time to see Star Trek. And I was trying to tell people, hey, it's kind of cool. They got these really neat stories, and it's really you know, and everybody's going what? And uh, and I know they had the little flip phone, you know, the little flip, the little phone would flip out, and they say, "Beam me up, Scotty." Yep. <laughs> no yep, intelligent, yep. no no intelligent <laughs> life here on Earth. <clears throat> and uh, 
I thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool to have something like that? Well, hey, I had something like that, and now it's obsolete, right? <laughs> Nobody's got a flip phone anymore. <laughs> so anyway, I, that's uh, going on and on. But uh, that gives some idea. I've just kind of been here, there, and everywhere. And uh, I consider myself a generalist. Uh, I know a little bit about a lot of things, and I try to put them together so I can get a picture, see. Uh, we're in a very... We're in a very specialized society. Uh, you know, doctors know doctrine and lawyers know lawyering. And, you know, everybody's got their little jobs to do. And, and most people don't uh, seem to get out of that little cubicle, uh, that uh, imaginary cubicle. So uh, I try to put all the dots together. And uh, it's, it's really, really fascinating. And sometimes it makes me just want to tear out my hair and go screaming down the street, you know. Yeah, well, it's like that old saying goes, you know, knowledge is power. Yes, that's true. So what uh, what would you like to know today, Adam? Okay, well, in 1977, uh, NASA launched a space probe named Voyager. Uh, right. one, of its, one of its missions was to uh, see if there is intelligent life beyond our planet. Now, there's, there were some items that, that were placed on the probe... Uh, can you talk a little bit more about you know what was on there and, and why they were kind of placed there? Sure, but before let me tell you the updated news on Voyager uh, Two. Uh, okay. They uh, it suddenly started transmitting. It's still going, and it's outside our solar system. It's uh, I think it's out in the Cooper Belt, uh, and uh, it suddenly it was. Uh, it was transmitting all this data, and it's still transmitting the data, but they can't understand it because they say something happened, and it's it, it changed a one for a zero or whatever, and then mm-hmm. now it's transmitting in a language that they don't understand. And they said, and uh, although uh, there is a some small chance that it was this was some kind of accident, you know, like a. Uh, meteorite or something hitting it uh the uh some of the people some of the officials space officials say that uh it, this almost indicates that somebody's tampered with it oops wait a minute it's out past the solar system and somebody's tampering with it now who mm-hmm. would that be but uh right. yeah <laughs> what might have brought what might have uh, prompted them <coughs> to really come and pay attention to Voyager 2 is that it's got a golden disc on it that has a, um, a drawing of a human man, a human woman, you know, here's what we look like. And it's got a diagram kind of pretty much showing where the Earth is in relation to the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, and uh, that's caused some concern because, well, we'll go to that in a minute because mm-hmm. uh, people are <laughs> wonder if maybe we should be signaling our presence out there in the universe and uh but also on there are recordings of um earth sounds uh animals and i don't know drums and stuff and also music of course and of course when you get to music that they want to represent the world uh obviously we they have snippets of uh, beethoven brahms mozart 
But what gets me is they've also got Chuck Berry playing oh, wow. Johnny B. Good, Johnny B. Good. And so I'm wondering, you know, what those folks out there are going to think when something comes flying out through space, and if they can pick it up and read it, and they hear, uh, you know, Chuck Berry wailing out with Johnny B. Good. Right. So we know that since 2010. Um, our, uh, our famed physicist uh, Stephen Hawking has, pub- has publicly spoken his fears uh, about this, and he cautions that one day we might receive a signal from a, plant, a planet like uh, uh, Guy's 832C, uh, but he says uh, we should be weary about answering back. Why is that? Well, uh, uh that goes back actually into the 50s when the Brookings Institution did a study on behalf of the U.S. government because uh, I think, you know, at that time, they, this was the early 50s, and they had had what they called then the flying saucer flap, <laughs> which meant a big to-do about uh, these disks that were seen flying through the air. And so uh, the government says, you know, well, well now what's going to happen if a more advanced, technologically advanced civilization comes into direct contact with a uh, more primitive civilization, <laughs> in this case meaning us? And uh, they did a study, and, of course, the only thing they could uh, uh, actually uh, correlate to would be uh, human history. So they went back and looked at history, and, and in almost any instance when a more highly technological civilization came into direct contact with a more primitive one, the more primitive one either got uh, uh, massacred, wiped out, or assimilated, or, you know, or, but anyway, basically just kind of lost out. And uh, I guess the the uh, best example is that is what happened when the white men came to North America and came into contact with the Native American civilizations. You know, mm-hmm. we see how that turned out. It didn't turn out very well for the for the Indians. Uh, and so the, I think that's what they were afraid of at that time, that that could be the case. Plus, uh, there's another addition, uh, another factor in that, Adam, in that... Uh, Back you know back then as today in the fifties and today, you know we spend an inordinate amount of our national uh, income and product on uh, the military, on hardware, on on keeping up a big army uh, defense force, right? And the reason right. for that is because of course in the Constitution it only gives the federal power, to, uh, federal government two powers. And one is to coin and regulate money, and the other is to provide for the common defense. Okay, and of course this provide for the common defense has been used all along to uh, further the government reach and control. Uh, And uh, so I think they knew that there was something flying through our air, and uh, they weren't sure what it was, and and the worst part was they couldn't stop it. Okay, in fact, uh, I uh, interviewed a military officer one time, and asked him why he thought that they were hostile, and because and uh, he said, well, they would uh, fly over our military, our most secret and sensitive military bases, and we'd order them to stop, and they wouldn't stop. <laughs> okay, so that automatically makes them an enemy. Uh, so it's 
kind of like when I was with the police. <laughs> you know, the, if you try to run from the police, that's when they really get after you. Uh, uh-huh. So, uh, so they were wondering about what these things were, and that's why they went and got this uh, uh, study done. But then the other thing was is that they couldn't admit that they couldn't stop them, and they didn't know who they were. You know, and they said, well, wait a minute. If we're paying all this money for defense, and you can't defend us, then what we, you know, what are we paying all the money for? And exactly. uh, so they, uh, yeah, so they had to keep it all quiet. And then, so for the longest time, you know, they, there was the government's position was, well, there's really no such things as UFOs. They don't exist, okay? Uh, in fact, one of the big prevalent theories at the time was that it was uh, uh, just hallucinations, uh, probably some sort of mass psychosis. And I always thought, wow, boy, there's a story right there. A heretofore, mm-hmm. you know, a heretofore undiagnosed and, and contagious mass psychosis. But, of course, that wasn't it. And uh, all that, you don't hear that anymore uh, because yeah. everybody knows everybody knows UFOs exist. And that's because of the advent of the camcorder and the iPhone, <laughs> that cell phone camera. You can just go on the Internet, you know, do a search engine, type in UFOs. you would probably keep you busy for months <laughs> looking at yeah. all of the photographs there. And, you know, Adam, even, <coughs> even if half of them, are phonies and hoaxes. And still is the other half, which is like, whoa, something's going on here, right? Right. So, things, you know, and we do, we spend a lot of money in our military to, to protect us, to, to protect our rights, and and things like that. Uh, do you, are they working on a way to protect us from something that could come from another place, another world? I mean, do we do we have that technology now to maybe possibly try to fend something like that off, or is that going to more more or less just kind of be well, a lost yeah, cause? Well, yes, that is, yeah, that's that's been the impetus to spend a lot more money and build up all kinds of stuff like laser weapon technology, sound audio technology, weapons technology, uh, uh, lots of stuff. Anything, you know, anything they can conceive of, they'll, they'll start working on it. And now I think that would be one of the uh, uh, excuses is that we have to be prepared, you know. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you personally, I don't think we have to worry about an armed invasion from space. And I'll tell you why. Uh, if you'll actually look closely at the historical record, you find that accounts of flying objects and people coming and flying through the air and visiting us permeate all every almost every older society of this world, from the uh, Dogon tribe in Africa to the North American Indians to the Incas, the Aztecs to the it just goes on and on. They, they're all the ancient Chinese and they're flying dragons. You got the ancient Romans and they're flying shields. You got the ancient Egyptians and they're soaring boats. You know they call them different things, but something's flying through the air. And then they all have stories, uh, such as uh, uh, the South American uh, natives of uh, these uh, beings who would come fly through the air, land, and teach them things. Uh, then you got the Bible with uh, Ezekiel and the fiery wheel that came and picked him up, carried him all around. Uh, you know, so, hey, they've been here all along. 
and so that's why I think that's good news, because if they were going to attack us, uh, like the movie Independence Day, and lay waste at the cities and kill everybody, you know, they would have done it, you know, long before now. They would have done it when all we could, uh, all we had to resist them would have been bows and arrows or spears. So, uh, no, you know, you, you, you think they're going to wait until we get uh, space technology, you know, to come and attack us. I don't think so. So I, I don't think that's an immediate concern. What's a major concern is who's actually running this planet and what are they doing to us. Right, okay? right. And, in fact, uh, that's another aspect of the secrecy that's been going on with UFOs. Uh, the uh, government back again, back in the 50s, when they got the Brookings Institution study, they said, well, we got to put a stop to this or, you know, there could be mass panic or whatever. And so they instituted a policy in fact, I even have the documents where they talk about this, of uh, the, a policy of uh, denial and ridicule. Uh, you know, if you said you saw a UFO, you must be mistaken. And if you keep saying, no, you're not mistaken, then maybe you need psychiatric help. You know? Right. And that, <clears throat> that was quite successful for many years, keeping people quiet because they just didn't want to risk uh, being ridiculed uh, by the old stereotypes of, uh, of the old farmer. And, and uh, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but, again, that's falling away. So we're kind of in a transition period right now. We're moving into a new era where there's going to be general knowledge and general acceptance of the idea that we're not alone on the, in the universe and possibly even on this planet. Uh, so, Yeah, so, like, uh, the government did a lot of cover-up on that and, uh, you know, with the fear of mass panic and stuff like that. You think now... Uh, are we ready for the government to actually release the truth on this? Or, or are their fears still in um, in the right, I guess to say? Well, there's kind of a split going on, okay? There are people within the government who would like the truth to come out. And there's been a lot of a lot of whistleblowers, essentially. You know, Paul Harrier, who was the uh, uh, defense minister of Canada for years, you know, has come out publicly and said, there's UFOs, they're here, there's aliens, and some of them are among us. Uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who just recently passed away, uh, was the sixth man to walk on the moon. He he's, uh, uh, he said publicly that we've gotten uh, alien technology. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of bursting, it seems. And uh, I think the primary reason why there's still a faction that does not want the truth to come out is that they are protecting this 1%. Uh, when you get to the level of the ultra-rich who control the corporations, who in turn control the world, uh, they owe their power and their wealth to monopolies that they have over uh, energy, telecommunications, pharmaceuticals, oil. oil. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <clears throat> they, I don't think they really care if we know there's aliens out there, okay? But what they care about is if we know for absolutely certain that there are 
non-humans and that they're coming here and visiting the earth, then we know for sure that there's alternative technology to what we mm-hmm. have. And and maybe the, the long-suffering tax-paying public might might get upset and start balking if they at these uh, uh, huge gas prices, you know, uh, if they know that there's clear, clean, free energy out there. All right. So I'm going to roll back again to um, Stephen Hawking. He he made a prediction that um, humans could be extinct within the next thousand years by, you know, by the year three thousand. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and what you think is in store for us in that next thousand years? Well, the bad news is if we keep going the way we're going, polluting the way we pollute, uh, reproducing at the rate we're doing now, uh, the world's going to have real problems. And I think that's what he's talking about. And it is possible that, you know, by the year 3000, uh, I guarantee you this uh, this wonderful world that we have uh, we might be unrecognizable uh, because of uh, earth changes, because of drought, because of uh, just, in, and, and of course, because of the, just this cancer <laughs> that's known as the human race that just keeps spreading across the world. But now that's the bad news. And if you only focus on that, then that, that, that'll bring you down pretty quick. But I happen to be kind of an optimist, okay? And, and I feel like that, you know, uh, not long back, back in the 40s, they were saying the world can only feed so many people, okay? Well, mm-hmm. we, hit that, we hit that number of people, and we've gone way beyond it, and we're still going, okay? Why? Because of technology. Uh, what I say is uh, if man can... If a, if a man can conceive of it, he can make it, okay? And if one man makes it, another man can break it. <laughs> and if an, the man that breaks it, there's always going to be another fellow who can fix it, all right? And I think that uh, I think that when we uh, some of these people are looking ahead and see, uh, you know, radioactive waste or, or burning trash cans in the empty city streets and all these depressing pictures we have of the future, <clears throat> I don't think they're taking into account human ingenuity and the ability to uh, pretty much handle anything. Uh, it's uh, it's really amazing, uh, and I think that uh, that's why that we we are. Uh, if you read the headlines, we've got so many problems on this earth. But if you really study and learn, read my books. <laughs> read my books. Find out what's really going on, who's really behind it. I think you'll find that there's some really positive changes taking place. Uh, You know, they were moving very swiftly towards their new world order. And I say they, meaning this uh, inner core wealthy elite who uh, dominate the the banks that in turn dominate the corporations, which in turn dominate the nations of the world and the population. Uh, And... uh, they uh, they have just been moving steadily forward towards their one world government, one world currency, uh, their new world order, and yet all of a sudden here, just in recent years, things have been going bad for them. <laughs> their little plans not working out like they want, and uh, the outward manifestations of this, of course, would be the Brexit vote. 
over in England where the people said, no, we don't want to be part of this European Union and voted to get out. And then over here where we just recently uh, experienced uh, a presidential election where uh, the the guy who was anti-establishment actually got in, which shows that the uh, bulk of the people uh, are tired of the old march towards world socialism, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, Carl Sagan, uh, who is he? Carl Sagan, uh, he was a very famous uh, astronomer. Uh, you know, he was he was on television, always talking about billions and billions of stars. Uh, and it's interesting because early in his career, he was kind of a loose cannon. In fact, he got together with some Russian scientists, and they were uh, espousing the idea that uh, Phobos, one of the moons of Mars, was an artificial object, you know, mm-hmm. a, you know a death star, if you will. And uh, But as he uh, as he matured and as he got more famous, <laughs> uh, he began to uh, uh, play the more conventional line. Uh, so anyway, that's who Carl Sagan was. Uh, one of my favorite cartoons shows a Carl Sagan caricature guy sitting at a radio, and it's on the side of it it says uh, S-E-T-I-C-D, which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, where they used those giant radio telescopes, and they're beaming, uh, you know, electromagnetic uh, messages off into space, hoping to see if they'll get an answer. Um, and so in the cartoon, the character sitting at the radio, and he says, well, nothing here. Let's try another frequency. Uh, you know, like, well, there's no, nobody's answering. There's nothing out there. And yet behind him, there's a big open window, and through the open window, you can see a, a UFO picking up a cow and uh, another one picking up a person and uh, another one making circles in the crops, you know, and it's like, it's like, it's pretty funny because, you know, the, yeah, they're listening for, to see if somebody will answer their radio signals, and they're, and, and yet they're not paying attention to the crop circles and the animal mutilations and the, uh, you know, everything else is going on, uh, you know, that pretty well proves that there's something happening on this planet. Right. Um, all right, so, Going back to the book here, um, let's talk a little bit about about the banking and and, and the currency and, and kind of where that that leads through in the book. Um, well, of course, uh, you know, see, in 2011 there was a study done in Switzerland of uh, 43,000 international corporations, um, and what they found was that they devolved down to uh, because of uh, cross directorships and ownership, uh, they're actually controlled by about 147 major corporations. And these 147 corporations, in turn, are controlled by about 20 banks. And these 20 banks, they have, again, interlocking directorships and ownership. And so it's a, there's just a small this, – this gives proof to, to the idea that there's just a small number of people who ha- hold the uh, – economic controls of the world and it's the same thing with the mass media today virtually everything we see and hear uh radio tv satellite cable movies uh 
the music industry, uh, CDs, uh, billboards, magazines, I mean, book clubs, everything is basically controlled by about one of five corporations. And uh, these corporations have uh, interconnected ownership. So you've got a handful of people that pretty well control the economy of the world and the uh, media of the world. And, of course, we're talking about the big guys, Disney, Viacom. We're not talking about Adam. (laughs) So so this is the big problem. And uh, they are trying to push us into a totally controlled George Orwell-Lean uh, uh, society where Big Brother knows everything you're doing, and uh, and we're getting that way. You know, these ubiquitous uh, uh, cameras on every street corner, uh, security cameras on every building. You know, nobody makes a move unless they know where, where you are and what you're doing. Uh, and this is where we're going. And I think the problem with that is, number one, philosophically, I don't have a problem with a one-world government. I think we are one world, and I think that uh, the day will come maybe pretty quickly uh, where somebody's going to say, where are you from? And you're going to say, I'm from Earth. Um, but, so the idea that... Uh, uh, that uh, we're going to have one world government and one world economy. Uh, that's not necessarily that bad. What's bad is we're being we're being manipulated into this. We're not being allowed to vote on this. When do we get to vote whether we want to be part of this new world order or not? And uh, for my money, anything that's not voluntary is tyranny. Yeah. And so, the, so I uh, I don't oppose the concept of one world government. I just oppose the idea that a bunch of rich people are going to sit around and and uh, be in charge Make of it all. For us, yeah. Yes, exactly. I agree. I agree. Um, so politics, we you know we've we've seen it time and time again through history. Um, you know, it's it's stuff that war was needed to keep the economy going and. You know, this included arms manufacturing, and well, we can even date that clear back into slavery. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, does I mean, as far as in the book, what what are we in store in the next thousand years? Are, is are we kind of kind of move out of that mode, or or is is that just going to be the, the the concept to keep the economy rejuvenating? Well, uh, of course, uh, the war seems to be the uh, one of the prime foundations of society because it helps mobilize society, keeps everybody in line, and keeps the uh, production lines moving. Uh, so it's, it's we've still got a lot of opposition. We still got a lot, a lot of people who, who you know, at least subconsciously want war. Uh, but I think as we move into the future, especially, again, because of technology, um, already a major portion of technology, namely computerization, has, uh, you know, has elevated us uh, from the need of uh, having to listen to national authorities and only get national news. And like now something happens, you know, uh, 
only only 50 years ago or 70 years ago or so, if something happened on the other side of the planet, it would take you know hours, and then before that, days and months for that news to reach anybody. Today, it's instantaneous. Something happens in Moscow, we know about it. Something happens in D.C., we know about it. And so it, 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 the computerization and the and the ability to uh, access uh, unlimited amounts of information is already transforming the world. Uh, this is why, and uh, but this is why we seem to be having such difficulties right now. Because uh, you may recall, uh, as a teenager, uh, the teenage years are kind of tough to get through. And uh, the reason for that is because that's a period of extreme growth in people, all right, both boys and girls. And, um, and it's not a very pleasant time, but it's a, it's a time of maturing and learning and, and uh, you know, becoming a, a more mature person. And I think that's what's happening here with us as a race. We're becoming a little more mature. And what's going to happen is, is, I don't think, and I certainly do not advocate, having some kind of armed rebellion or revolution or revolt, okay? Uh, but I think what's going to happen is it's going to be a nonviolent revolution, and I think it's already underway. Uh, governments are saying, okay, well, for one thing, look here, there are people within our government who for at least 10 years now have been trying to push us into a war with Iran, right? right. <laughs> but it just hadn't quite happened because not enough people say, yeah, let's do that. You know, <laughs> there's too many people going, no, I don't think so. I don't think we need to do that. And uh, that's good. And uh, and it kind of comes back to the U.S. Constitution. Uh, if we would adhere to the Constitution, I think we'd have a whole lot less problems than we do now. Uh, an example is that in the Constitution it says only Congress has the power to declare war. Okay, and yet uh, ever since Vietnam, we've been fighting everywhere uh, without any declaration of war. It's been uh, the president has. Uh, taken upon himself to send troops somewhere or the Congress, uh, you know, may or may not approve it. Uh, <clears throat> and it all, that all started with a phony, the phony Gulf of Tonkin thing, which never really even happened. And they would use that as a, as a uh, basis to, to get us into Vietnam. And so we've been fighting all these wars uh, uh, unconstitutionally. Uh, now, there are those who would say, and I agree, that, hey, Congress, come on, Congress can't even decide when to adjourn. You know, how, how, about, how are they going to decide such weighty issues as you know, going to war? Well, I say, I think that's why the people who framed the Constitution were brilliant. If you can't get three-quarters of Congress to vote that we need to go to war, we probably don't need to go to war. Right? Right. So we got just a short time left here. I want to invite our listeners. Uh, you got a question for Jim. Uh, you can call in at uh, 646-668-2860. That's 646-668-2860. Or drop us a line in our chat, and uh, we'll try to get it on the air just because we just got a short time left here. Uh, but, Jim... Uh, as we were talking before, the topic of alien life and UFOs really seemed to have been 
you know, suddenly moved into the mainstream attention, you know, especially with the video of the SpaceX explosion, uh, all, right. all over YouTube with the slow motion versions that appear uh, to show a fast moving object uh, moving near the rocket uh, on the launching pad as it explodes. And it's kind of conjecturing uh, that there's an alien spacecraft that may be involved. Uh, what makes the subject of UFOs um, a subject that has been denied and even suppressed ridicule? I mean, I we kind of talked to the board, but can you, can you maybe express a bit more about the, the concern here? Well, yeah, and the thing is, I think there is a concern there because uh, among my other books, uh, I've written a book called Sci-Spies, P-S-I, Spies. It's the true story of America's psychic warfare program, and this is uh, where they developed a methodology to uh, support the idea of remote viewing. Remote viewing is uh, the ability to uh, perceive an object at a distance, a person, a place, or a thing, at a distance without the normal uh, five senses. And, of course, what this takes us into is the realm of uh, psychic ability, which uh, a few years ago everybody thought that's just a bunch of woo-woo, that doesn't work. But uh, we found out that the Russians were making headway in studying and experimenting with uh, psychic ability, so uh, the uh, <laughs> ever ever watchful generals in the Pentagon says, well, we think that's a bunch of hogwash, but uh, by golly, if the Russians are doing that, we got to do it too. So they began experimenting, and they found out that the psychic ability can be trained, can be uh, directed, and that they actually had some success with it. In fact, uh, for me personally, I think that uh, the development of the psychic ability uh, was actually one of the fundamental reasons for the collapse of the Cold War, because the Cold War was built totally on secrecy. Uh, the Russians weren't sure what we had, and they weren't sure of our intentions. We didn't, weren't sure what the Russians had. We weren't sure of their intentions, and it, it was the Cold War. Well, when they developed what they called extrasensors, and we developed what we called remote viewers, and these uh, these uh, psychics were able to go and look around, go in filing cabinets, go in safes, and there was nothing could stop them, then there was no secrets anymore. And the Russians realized we had everything we said we had, and uh, that we were not necessarily uh, prepared to attack Russia. And then America, who realized that Russia didn't really have everything we thought they had, and that they were not necessarily interested in attacking the United States, well, the whole Cold War fell apart. So what is the likelihood that alien races will be benevolent, or as in the case of E.T., or oppressive like in the case of the Cyclos from Battlefield Earth? Right. Um, well, I think there is a wide variety of species out there, uh, and some of them might be more benevolent than others. I, uh, I, again, I'm kind of optimistic. I'd like to think that if a species is intelligent enough and advanced enough to build technology that allows them to travel through the universe and travel to other places and come here, 
then uh, I am hopeful that they are uh, progressed enough socially uh, to understand that it's just not right and proper <laughs> to come and and try to take over somebody else's world. Uh, I think uh, I think most of the the races that are now out there and are able to move around in the universe uh, with uh, technology probably far beyond ours, or at least significantly beyond ours. Um, I just uh, would hope that they would be. Uh, progressed enough uh, to uh, to not go you know rampaging through the through the universe. Um, I think it comes down to the uh, the, the Star Trek uh, thing about the uh, Prime Directive. Uh, they always talked about the Prime Directive. Well, what was the mm-hmm. Prime Directive? The Prime Directive was that you do not interfere with the natural evolution of a species. Uh, that's and I think that's why they have not landed on the White House lawn like uh, in that movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and, yeah. and come out and said, "Okay, here we are. Hello, we're we're here. We want to be your friend." Uh, because uh, I think that would, uh, in the past, certainly true, and maybe to some extent today, that would be pretty disruptive uh, of our natural uh, evolution. But I think we may be coming to the end of that. You know, in the 50s, 60s. Uh, you know, I think the natural inclination was uh, if you see something landing in your backyard, shoot at it, okay? But I think today we're a little bit more sophisticated. In fact, I know we are. Uh, I know that uh, back in the 50s, the big question was do they come from Mars or do they come from Venus? And of course, through the 60s and 70s, we got a little bit more uh, knowledgeable and and more uh, advanced in our technology and in our science. And so the question became, do they come from Alpha Centauri or Zeta Reticula 4? And uh, today we've gotten even more sophisticated. Now the question is, you know, are they, are they from another planet or are they from another dimension? Are they from another time? Perhaps they're time travelers and blah, blah, blah. You know, so, uh, and I, frankly, I think the answer to that is yes, all of the above. I think there's just all kinds of stuff going on. But one of the underlying rules or the prime directive is uh, that you don't overtly interfere with the natural evolution of a species, and that's why you might be able to come and, if, like if we went to another planet and we didn't want to you know, break the prime directive, well, what would we do? Well, we'd go to isolated places out in the countryside where there weren't very many people, and we'd land and we'd look at them, let them look at us, and we'd do what we need to do and quickly fly off and, and, uh, or put the cloaking device on, and then, uh, you know, there they are. You're left with uh, an individual or, or a few individuals who'd say, wow, this thing landed and I saw it and there was somebody in it. And everybody else would go, no, you're nuts. <laughs> just like we have, just like we have gone through. Yeah, so science fiction has been the, the herald of possibility since its inception. You know, it, it has prophesized such items such as automatic doors by H.G. Wells, voice control computers by Arthur Clark, Clark um, right? Submarines by by June Verne. Uh, what else? Handheld devices uh, to read. Yeah, books that's what by that's what L. Ron Harvard. <laughs> yeah, he was writing about uh, 
you know, you have this little device in your hand and you talk into it and you and you can look at it and see pictures. You know, well, <laughs> we got it now. It's not it's not fiction anymore. It's science fact. I think the question yeah. is, <laughs> did we truly invent all that thing? Are are humans that that are we that smart that uh, inventive, <laughs> or did we pick up some alien technology along the way? Well, it's like like a lot of the uh, old uh, the, the architects, the, the geologists, whatnot. Um, they found where where when they're when they're excavating, you know, ancient sites where they're finding that they've had technology well before their time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they're, they're in fact they're moving the date of uh, civilization on this planet. It keeps moving back further and further and further. They're already back to thirty and forty thousand years. And you know our history, we only go back about. Well, I guess to the Sumerians, and they li- they were like that would be like five thousand years ago. That's it. That's about the extent of our knowledge of what happened on this planet. And yet this planet's what eight billion years old. So you know, there's all kind, and so we we keep coming across all these little artifacts and these ruins and all this stuff that shows us that there was actually there was something here before us, but uh, we haven't. Uh, um, you know, there's too many books written about conventional history. Uh, they nobody wants to go back and change all that. So we're just kind of muddling along with. Uh, each generation knows something a little different from the other one because we keep gaining uh, knowledge as as the years go on. Mm-hmm. So when Battlefield Earth was first published, uh, Mr. Hubbard ha- hadn't done any fiction writing in some years. Why did he get back into it? Uh, because he had things to say. Uh, he got sidetracked, I think, a little bit there uh, uh, in the uh, 60s and 70s uh, by, for developing his uh, Scientology. Uh, but I think that he realized that uh, uh, science fiction, particularly science fiction and other fiction, is a good way to present information. Uh, and in fact, that's what's happening today. You know, they've done studies that people get more of their information from movies and, and TV shows uh, than from the news. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in fact, in fact, hey, Adam, you can go back to the Bible and realize that Jesus, you know, instead of just getting up and saying what he had to say, he spoke in parables, all right, yeah. <laughs> which are little stories. So he gave little stories that would uh, entertain but would also educate uh, people as to uh, his message. So, you know, fiction has always been a way to uh, present information to a wider audience. So, between the original and the re-release of Battlefield Earth, what what's what's the difference? Or, yeah, what's different oh, about well, the Oh well, of course. Yeah, well, there's you know essentially there's no difference because it's just a re republication of Battlefield Earth. But in the new edition, you've got a bunch of extras. It's kind of like the it's kind of like the DVDs of today. You don't just get the movie; you get behind the scenes and you get you know uh, uh, ex- a narrative from whatever. So yeah, they've got uh, uh, they've got articles. Uh, about Battlefield Earth, they've got uh, they've got uh, additional in-depth interviews with L. Ron Hubbard for him to explain, you know, uh, and that's why he was explaining that we need to uh, be prepared to meet under other uh, 
uh, species because uh, he too brought up the uh, uh, the uh, example of what happens when the uh, white man with their uh, firearms came over to North America. You know, uh, he said we have to be careful about who we. Uh, invite to our world you know you never quite know who you're going to get so mm-hmm. i think that was his way his way of just uh, telling uh, some truths as he saw them but in an entertaining way and it is entertaining it's uh, uh it uh, it'll keep uh, it'll keep the reader moving right along all right so uh where where can we find uh this the re-release and the audiobook Version. Where, where can we find those at now? Okay, I, I would go to battlefieldearth.com, uh, and then uh, I would also uh, suggest you might want to come look at my my website, jimmars.com. That's J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S.com, and uh, there you can see all of my rundown of books and uh, DVDs, and also I, I publish from time to time. Uh, some articles that I find uh, very revealing uh, and that you might not find in the mainstream media. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's, uh, and of course, as far as Battlefield Earth, uh, you can get this off. I think Amazon has a really good deal going on right now, especially maybe for the uh, uh, for the audiobook. So, of course, you can go to Amazon or, or any bookstore for that matter. If there are any bookstores left, I think there are. <laughs> yeah, Barnes and Noble and a few others. Are still yeah, around. but there. Uh, so, is is there anything in the works to do a remake of the movie? Well, Lord, I hope so. That first one was kind of. A, was kind of a dog, and I'll tell and I'll tell you, I really what happened there to me is just so basic, and I see it all the time in movies. You got a book that's really a great book, and then when they trans, try to translate it into a movie, it somehow it just doesn't work, you know. And uh, I think that's what happened here. the The book is just well, number one, it's very long. Uh, the audio uh, audio book is like forty seven hours. Um, and so, needless to say, it covers a lot of territory, a lot of ground, and and uh, goes into all kinds of uh, issues. And I can see where that would be difficult, if not impossible, to put all that complexity into a movie. But nevertheless, <laughs> I would hope that they might make another stab at it sometime because it really is a great story about, you know, the the basic story is how uh this it takes place in the earth like in the year 3000 and the uh the uh, uh aliens have been here for like a thousand years and um, the hum- most humans uh that are still surviving are kind of hiding out in these little uh outlaw bands you know uh, out in the out in the rough areas of the country and uh, most of them don't even realize that they're being occupied by aliens. They they don't really know what's going on. And so the whole the whole book is the story of an awakening that uh, yeah there there are these cyclos here that are uh, uh, and that uh, something needs to be done about it and how that the humans regain uh, control over their own world. It's uh, 
it's really a great read. Maybe give us a template for the future if we ever get mm-hmm. occupied, you know. But uh, what I really love, Adam, is is that instead of just marauding aliens that land and start blasting everything in their path, you know, kind of like War of the Worlds or whatever, this one has a little different take. This one, Hubbard really kind of knew what was going on. I think he's trying to tell us some stuff because I think there's some parallels that could be made between uh, Battlefield Earth and our current situation. And I say that because in Battlefield Earth you, you have – the intergalactic uh, bankers have loaned money to the intergalactic mining corporation, uh, and they have a contract then to come and strip mine the world, <laughs> the earth, of all our mineral resources. Um, uh, but they're on a deadline. You know, they have just so much time to do that, and the contract is only for so long. And at the end of the contract, if they haven't uh, produced the uh, amount of material wealth, mineral wealth that, uh, you know, that they plan to, then the earth, the ownership of the earth would revert back to the bankers who had then mm-hmm. put it up for sale to the highest bidder or something like that. So, in other words, it wasn't an alien invasion. It was just a business deal. Okay, just yep. doing business. You know, nothing, nothing personal. personal. Just business. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Jim, it's been such so, a pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, well, thank you I, so much, and and I appreciate being with you. Uh, be sure and go uh, check out Battlefield Earth at battlefieldearth.com and uh, uh, jimmars.com for uh, the, the rest of my books, which you might find interesting. Yes. Thanks yes. again. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank we look you. forward to speaking to you again. Uh-huh. Bye. So just want to give you guys a heads up. Um, on the 23rd at 3 p.m., we're going to have Timothy Spearman on the show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the truth behind Ga- Gandhi. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, we've had a great show today with uh, – Jim Mars and I hope you did too. Want to stay up to date with Paranormal Unspoken? We're on Twitter at paranormal underscore UNSP or catch us on Facebook and get the latest news, info on upcoming shows, and chat with the host during the week. You can also follow us right here on BTR at blocktalkradio.com slash paranormalunspoken. Did you miss a show you wanted to hear? It's okay. Subscribe to Paranormal Unspoken on iTunes and take your favorite shows with you on the go on your mobile devices. This is Adam Young, your host for Paranormal Unspoken, seeking the truth together.